name's Christian, and I am the oh, shared with my wife, the senior minister of the church, and um, it's a lovely pleasure to see you all here today, and uh, for those visiting as well, lovely to have you with us, and um, we will be continuing today our lovely, lovely, lovely um, message, our series, and of course, I've not done chocolate for a, time, for a while, so I'm going to bring chocolate time out again. So what's the series on? Who remembers what the series... Josh! Oh, Josh! Go on, Josh! What is it? Disciples! Disciples. You can come up to the front. Uh, give him a round of applause, people. <laughs> now, I've got to tell you, I've got to say, this guy, at the, he's, he's the most encouraging guy in the church. He is. At the end of every preach, he comes up to me. There you go. That's all yours. Enjoy it. Uh, he comes up to me and he says, excellent sermon, Christian. Every single, every single week I get that off him. I tell you, every, don't you? Every week. We'll see if he does it this week. But uh, every week he says that. I'm very impressed. I'm very impressed with Josh. Plus, plus every single time his hand up goes first. So he's the one that remembers. The old lady going, I don't even know what we were doing yesterday. And now you're thinking, oh, there we are. Um, so, Josh, well done. Go to the top of the class again. That's very good. Excellent. Yes, we are talking about discipleship and the Great Commission. Our mission as a church is effectively all tied into the Great Commandments and the Great Commission. Okay? So, let's play. A, let's play. Oh, I, I used to be a teacher, so I like to do this. So, what's the Great Commands? What's, what's the, the two big Great Commands when Jesus said, when Jesus was asked? We can have some crowd participation at this point. To love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind is the first. And the second one, he, he said straight after that was, and love your neighbor as yourself. Look at that. We're, fire, we're on fire today. This is very good. So those are the two great commands he put together. And then if we bring in the Great Commission, like we'd like to on this, the Great Commission would be to make disciples, which is kind of what we're talking about at the moment. So we kind of like, as a, as a, as a, a yeah, I've <laughs> not got any more um, as a mission, as a church, that's what we look at. We look at bringing those two things together, that the Great Commission is fueled by the Great Commandments. The love of God fuels or should fuel absolutely everything that we do. And as a church, that is our goal. That's what we're aiming for, so that the Great Commission spurs us into the Great, sorry, the great Commandment spurs us into the Great Commission. And it's absolutely vital that everything that we do and everything we look at as we look at this next couple of series uh, is all tied into Jesus' love for us and then us loving outward. Loving him, first of all, with all of our heart, all of our strength, all of our soul, all of our mind, and also loving others. That's what is the path to grow in. Is that all right? Yes, yes we're in the right zone then. That's good. Because um, I have entitled this message, Being a Disciple Maker. Okay, and making disciples is a huge value of us as a church, massive, because that is where we want to grow, and that's what we want to grow people as as well. So more and more and more, we're looking at, at doing that. Jesus never said, interestingly, go out and make Christians, ever. Interesting, isn't it? He never said that, go out and make Christians. He said, make disciples. It wasn't like, just get them saved and get them in church. It was make disciples, which is a very, very important thing. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, we will read out. This is just before the ascension. The last command, or one of them, certainly, before he ascended into heaven. Probably if you're going to depart from this place, and you know you're going. 
because Jesus did at this point. This will be the most important thing that he's going to say. Agree, disagree? Yeah. I'd really love to get on everyone's chairs, yes or no button, so we could really kind of, you know, you could just vote different parts. That I, I go, right, we're ditching that. Right, okay, Jesus spoke and said to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. Very nice. Disciples aren't born. They are made. Interesting? Yes. That's what he says. I'm only quoting Jesus. Make disciples. Disciples are made. They're not just born. You don't get born and you're a disciple. You're not like, well, I was in a Christian house all along and here I am a disciple. Disciples are made. So how do we best make disciples? This is what we're talking about today. Jesus was the best disciple maker ever, I'm going to say. Do you agree or disagree with that statement? They're very closed questions here. It makes it easier. So, yeah, it's either yes or no. And I think he was. So I'm going to learn from him. I think we learn from the best. And there's three things I want to pick out in today's uh, message very quickly, really, because I'm not going to be able to do deep on this one. But the first one is that lifestyle is everything. So Jesus demonstrated before anything else a vibrant relationship with the Father. He demonstrated a love for God and a love of God in his living, in his ministry, in the way that he had a relationship with him, in a way that he went about his day-to-day business. Jesus demonstrated love. Jesus demonstrated godliness. Jesus demonstrated holiness. Jesus demonstrated, first and foremost, how to go about it. Yes, everyone who was hanging around him would have seen exactly what Jesus was doing, what he did when he got up, how he cleaned his teeth, what he wore on a Tuesday. Yeah, those were his disciples. They would have seen that. They would have been close up and they would have seen absolutely everything. Some of that would have been more important than others. I hope you understand. But as far as it was, Jesus was demonstrating all the way along how to go about living for God. In a New Testament context, I said last week, a disciple is a learner. And in this particular one, as someone who is actively engaged, actively engaged on the process of becoming more and more like Jesus, being transformed into his own image. And that's in the way that we think, it's in the way that we speak, it's in the way that we act. So to disciple others effectively means to lead others along the same journey. It's to encourage, it's to teach, it's to inspire, it's to empower, it's to equip people along that same walk. But we must first be a disciple if we are to make disciples. This isn't a classroom setting where I stand up at the front and say, this is how you are to factorize a quadratic. I don't do that anymore. This is how I do this. This is how I will go about doing I'm not doing it myself. Off you go. Turn to page 32 and do it all yourself. This isn't it. Jesus and ourselves, for us to do it effectively, we need to be walking that walk. And that's absolutely vital in everything that we do. That will help us to disciple effectively. 
As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's about being the, mo the role model. It's about being the example that, you're, that other people will learn from. People will see it there. People will learn more from our lifestyle than they will ever, ever, ever learn from our words. That's the way that life works, yeah? Dallas Willard said, the people to whom we minister and speak will not recall 99% of what we say to them. Sadly worth me preparing the message, isn't it? <laughs> but they will never forget the kind of persons that we are. So, the most important thing happening at any moment is the kind of persons we are becoming. Okay? And leave that up there for a bit because there's a lot there. The kind of persons that we are becoming is more important than anything else. All right? That's the biggest impact our lives will have anywhere. People will remember us for who we are more than what we speak. People will remember what was going on on the inside of us much more and what we demonstrate to people more than absolutely anything else. The quality of our souls is absolutely fundamentally first above absolutely anything that I can imagine. So it's really, really, really important that our lifestyle and the quality of our souls will be the biggest and brightest thing that speaks into other people's lives. It is that in itself that brings life and fruit to every single other person we come across. Okay? Right. And in itself, the quality of your soul will make people curious about Jesus. Interestingly. And that's true. I remember being, um, I wasn't a Christian for too long when I was working in insurance. And uh, one guy, my boss, it was my boss, he said to me um, after working there a few weeks, he said, that, you don't swear, do you? Didn't really think about it, to be honest. You know, that was just who I'd become at that particular point. You know, so everyone else swore a lot there. I think I told you before that you used to. Everyone in that office used to swear loads. You don't swear. And we just got on to why I didn't swear. And immediately he was coming to church. He got curious because it's different. We make a difference. We are to be different if we are to make a difference. Does that make sense? Yeah. You can't make a difference if you're swimming along the same way as everybody else. All right? But if we are different, then we will make a difference. And therefore, we are not to be afraid of standing out from the crowd. Okay? Can we do that? Can we stand out from the crowd every now and again? <laughs> Good. Because the more we hear God in our relationship with him, the more people will eat that very bread from us. Got it? Yeah? That's what happens. It's a wonderful, wonderful dynamic. And it's why the, the great command cannot be separated from the great commission. All right? The commandments, love God and love people, can't be separated from the great commission. Because it's in relationship with God that we end up discipling the most effectively. A loving relationship with God flows directly into discipleship. But it wasn't just his lifestyle, obviously. Jesus always imparted grace before truth. John 1, 16 and 17 say the following. And of his fullness we have all received and grace for grace. 
For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So, discipling is not telling people to behave better, just so parents know. Okay? It's not telling people to get their act together. It's not telling people to do things at a higher standard. All people ever hear is, you're a very naughty boy. Okay? It's not about that. The law doesn't work. It never has and it never will. If I was to say to you, right, go away and pray and read your Bible, far, far more than you are at the moment, that might work for two minutes. Okay? Maybe even for a day or two. But you would fail in the end because all you're doing it is doing it under pressure. You're doing it because you've been told to. You've been doing it because you think that you should. Jesus came in grace and truth. It's true that it's good to read the Bible. But there's grace that comes first. He built an amazing loving relationship with everyone first. Jesus came and he met people where they were at. True? Yeah. He met people where they were. He removed the condemnation and the guilt and, the, and everything that they were under, and he loved them and accepted them for who they were, not what they were doing, not their performance, but for who they are, and he still does to, the, to this day. Wonderful story in John chapter 8, where there's a woman caught in adultery, and he, he comes to her, and he just removes all the guilt. He removes all the condemnation. He removes everything. And then he says, go and leave your life of sin. And that's, that's it encapsulated. He empowers the woman to go into a godly lifestyle with grace first and then with truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. It has to be that way around. It's love before challenge, and it always will be. Because only as people are loved, only as people are in a safe, open relationship with us, then we can bring a, cha a challenge into that. Out of love, Jesus taught. Out of love, Jesus encouraged. Out of love, Jesus built up people. Out of love, he challenged his disciples to grow in godliness and into love. Without love, it's a clanging bell. Yes? And I'm sure you've all heard people do that. I'm sure you've all heard people speak into your life, and it doesn't quite sound like, even though it's true, it doesn't quite ring true in your life because it doesn't come out of love. Yeah, that's why it's so essential. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about it with prophecy. Yeah, if we prophesy without love, we're just a kind. You've got to. Anything we do has to be with love. And if it's with love, then it's received because it's coming in the right way. Out of love, Jesus did everything. And so this group of people, he discipled and transformed, and they in turn transformed the entire world, which is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they were fishermen. All tax collectors. Got nothing against the inland revenue if you work for them, by the way. But you get the idea. Yeah, they weren't like amazing people. But it came from a small group of people that Jesus invested his love and his time in. And it's one of the big reasons that we would hold to connect groups as being a, ma a massive, massive part of our discipleship process. Because they're places where people can be open and honest with issues and they can grow to be more and more like Jesus. It's so where we're loved, it's where we're challenged in our walk with Jesus, where we, where we would always journey together and grow together bit by bit by bit. But it's always grace before truth. It's always love before challenge. 
And then the third one, which is one I really want to major on today, is that Jesus didn't judge. He believed in others. Jesus believed in others. Judging people places limits on people. It says, this is who you are, and you can never change. This is who you are, and you will never get any better. This is your ceiling. If I judge anybody, I'm placing a ceiling over their life. If I'm saying, well, this is just not good enough, and that's you, you are that person, then it's just horrible. It's not nice. And people can never, ever grow in a judgmental atmosphere. Okay? It doesn't work. It does not work at all. But Jesus never did it like that. John 1, 42 is a great example. Andrew took Simon to Jesus. Where Jesus saw Simon, he said, You are Simon, the son of John. Your name will be Cephas. This, the name Cephas means Peter or a rock. Why on earth did Jesus change Simon's name to Peter? What's wrong with Simon? It's a nice name. Isn't it? I don't know anyone called Simon, but I'm sure they're very nice people. Yeah, it's a nice name. So, I mean, what's, what's wrong with it? What's, why did he do it? What's going on? You're looking perplexed at me. I don't know. I haven't got that. <laughs> There's a reason for it. So Simon, when he met him, was quite an unstable and an emotional character. Yeah. And, and so, so Andrew brings Simon to him. And like, it could be very easy to him to go, I'm not building my church on this dude. This, guy, this guy's not got what he takes. Yeah. He's running around everywhere. He's getting all heads up. He's denying me. He's, do you know what I mean? This, this isn't what you want, is it? No, well, I wouldn't. <laughs> but Jesus saw something very different in him. And he called him rock. He looked into him and he saw him as a rock. He saw him as somebody different. He saw him as somebody with huge potential. He saw him as somebody where he could do something in his life. Because he saw a better future in Peter than Peter saw in himself. Does that make sense? Yeah? So it's very easy to look at Simon and go, well, he's not got his act together, so I'm not choosing him. But he saw a much, much better future for him. He saw a future where he was a rock, a man who could change the planet. He saw a future where he could do something different. Jesus, remember, is the son of God. He's God himself. So he knew him at his worst, but he also believed in his best. He could see both, and he chose to believe in his best. He could have said, not yet, you're not ready, but he could have said anything at this particular point. But he changes his name. And now, every single time Peter hears his name, he hears rock, rock, rock. And it slowly goes in. It slowly changes his self-image. It slowly starts to make him think, actually, maybe I can do something better with my life. Maybe I am more stable than I first thought I was. Maybe I am less this flitty around person. Maybe I can do something else. And his own image gets changed. Rock, rock. Every time someone calls him, rock. That's who I am now. That's who I am. That's who Jesus says I am. That's who I am. If Jesus says I am, I must be that person. We did sing the song. So... Who Jesus says you are, you've got to hang on to, because it's the truth. You can smile at that. Yes, okay. It's good news, isn't it? I bet you're glad you came today. Well, you had to. You gave me a lift. But <laughs> you get the point. Yes, as far as it is, 
that Peter's now going around going, I could do something with my life. I could change this planet, maybe. Maybe. But it's changing bit by bit. Jesus shows here and all over the Gospels that he believes in others. He believes in a better future for every single person. Yeah. It doesn't matter to him how it looks on the outside. Jesus sees a better future on the inside. And out of that, he drags that out of people. He calls that out of people. He calls them into a better place. And by doing so, it released the supernatural into people's lives. It wasn't long before Peter was casting out demons and healing people and raising the dead, was it? Yeah. It's not bad going for someone who was emotionally unstable at the time. Yes. I would say, anyway, personally. God-given potential was released from him. And that's absolutely amazing. Now, here's, here's a story that's not spiritual in the slightest. But when I was a teacher, um, we, we have to... I don't know if this is... Um, it's, down, it's bound to be the case even worse. But we used to have... It hit year 10, and we used to have to give target grades. Year 10 is fourth year, for people who don't know. Uh, we had to give target grades for kids' GCSEs. And I had this group that, that walked in through the door, and the computer churns out all this stuff. You're going to hear my teacher bias now, I'm sorry. So it's all based on what they got in the year six sats, where they live, what the postcode is, and whether they're on free school meals. It's good, isn't it, eh? Anyway, so the computer goes crunch, 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 and it goes, these are the grades you should get. Or, you know, this is what you're targeted at. Um, and, um, and so I looked at it, and I thought, these kids are better than these grades. So, but what you were instructed to do by everyone was to read out what the computer said, and the kids would then write in their book, target grades, I'll change it to your language, target grade B, target grade C, whatever it was, yes? For those who are more modern, seven, six, five, eight, yeah? <laughs> you don't get that mostly. But anyway, there you are. So that's what it was. So I'll do, I'll do it in old school for, for those for, for who, who are getting A's and B's. Um, and um, so I changed them, and I, up, I upped every single one of them by one grade. I thought, stuff this. I'm not giving these grades out. I think they're better than this. So, so everyone that had a C, I gave a B. They didn't know this. They didn't know the computer said C. I just told them to write B in their book. Anyone that had a B, I told them to write an A. And so it just, I went down there. That's your target grade for the, for the year. Okay, or for the two years, because it was um, in two years' time they did the GCSEs. By the end of those two years, they'd hit their target grades from the book. They'd elevated their expected grade by an entire grade. They'd gone up by what the computer had said they should be getting. The group parallel to mine had all hit their computer grades. So basically, they'd still hit their grade, if you like, but as far as it went, they were absolutely nowhere near my group. Now, it, looked, it made me look great. I didn't do anything that different. All I did was say, you're better than what this computer tells you you are. Don't let anyone ever tell you who you are. Don't let anyone push you down. Don't let a computer push you down. Don't let anything come along and say, this is who you are, and you're not good enough to do this. Don't let anything ever get near that. God says you are far better, and you've got a far brighter future than anything that you can ever imagine. Oh, I used to get on my high horse with teaching. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> but it was essential because people would push down and push down and make you say, well, that's your limit. That's your ceiling. It's not your ceiling, ever. You got me? 
Yeah, good. Because it's not. People can't say things like that. People shouldn't say things like that. And we've got a ceiling that is limitless because God's inside of us. Haven't we? Yeah. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We can move on. We have a future that is bright. Don't we? Yes. Good. Amen. So maybe I should have said that they'll get A stars. We should go back into teaching and see if that works. But there we are. That is not, by the way, a formula trick to get better grades. You have to genuinely believe it, by the way. Yeah, I can't just go, oh, the Christian, you know, it's always a right to grade higher. So yeah, you have to genuinely believe that that's possible. All right? It has to be a, a belief inside where you go, no, this is the situation. This is who this is. This is what's going on with that. But as a pastor, I want every one of us to look to believe in others, in the people around you, in the people of your spheres of influence. Believe in each other. Okay? Believe in people. When you look at each other, believe much, arrest every single thought of judgment, everything that limits, and build faith in each other. Yeah? Does that sound like a good plan? Where we look to build faith, where we look to see beyond where people are at right now. Because Jesus is on the inside of each one of us, and that means there is absolutely no limit to what the person next to you can do. Or you, okay? But let's just convey it now as a disciple maker that you now are, all right? The person next to you, I mean, that's your wife, Matt Check, I know, but she is limitless. See her as limitless, okay? It's good, isn't it? It's very good. When we look, we can look for a brighter future around them, a brighter future for every single person. Yeah? Some of you, I mean, it might be hard, but it's possible to do because we can see them full of peace, full of joy, full of love. We can see someone who won't stagnate but will grow and transform people around them for God's purposes. Amen? Is that good? So how do you do it? How do you do it? You need to see through Jesus' eyes. You need to pray and you need to say, God, I need to see this person the way you see this person. I need to see what's going on. I need you to show me how to see this person and to start believing it. Because if Jesus sees that person as better, if Jesus sees that person with more hope, with more faith, with more of a future, then that's what you can do. Amen? Yeah. That's when your faith starts to get together with Jesus and starts to hear what Jesus is saying and moves on like that. And you can see the people, I mean, Rosanna was praying for people in the families that we've had to, to come back to God. See your children like that then. Yeah, with faith burning on the inside. Pray for them that way. But see them all the time like that. See them in church with their hands raised high. Whoever it is, it doesn't matter. See people as better. See people with the eyes of Jesus. Are we good with that? That's what he did. That's what he was. And then uh, I'm completely going off the page here. But I used to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. I won't do any more. Um, I do think for some people this is more personal, this, this message actually. So it may be that the time has come to stop knocking yourself. Yeah, which is easy to do. To think, stop thinking negatively about yourself. To stop thinking poorly of yourself as well. So here's me saying think positively about other people. But, you know, think well of yourself as well. Make sure that you see yourself the way Jesus does. Because having faith 
that we, in Jesus, seeing us the way Jesus sees us, seeing ourselves the way Jesus does, empowers us to change our habits. You got that? Yeah? Massively. Seeing ourselves the way that Jesus sees us changes your thought patterns. There's people here with destructive thought patterns. Now, that's prophetic. That's not because someone's confessed it to me. But they've got, they've got destructive thought patterns or destructive habits. And it, yeah, that's happening. Okay, so you can apply what Jesus says. Jesus says you are righteous. He's given you the gift of righteousness. So you see yourself with the gift of righteousness. And if you keep on going back to that habit or that destructive thought, then keep on bringing that in. Okay? Whoever those apply to, for the three or four of you in the room for that part. Make sure we start seeing ourselves the way that Jesus does, and we will be transformed. Yes? Amen? That's good. It's absolutely essential. How do I see you as a... I see, you know, I was praying before. As a pastor, I see every single one of you with gold on the inside of you. Gold on the inside of you. You're treasured by Jesus, but there's something of huge worth and huge value where you can impact the entire region, impact the world with, the, with your lives. And that's what God's placed inside of each and every one of you. Yes? All of you. I'm sorry, if you're in the room, that's who you are. There's no getting away from that. Every single person I could see with gold, bright gold on the inside, bright gold shining to make a difference on the planet, to make a difference in your own life and to change people around you. Yes, this is who you are. There's no escaping that truth. This is who you are. You are a person who can impact everyone that you come across. Scary, but good. Be good anyway, I think. There you go. Now, it's important to remember the power to do all the Great Commission comes from Jesus. He says the words, I am with you always. As you go out to do the Great Commission, in whatever sphere of influence, or whether it's here, whether it's disciple-making here or whether it's disciple-making wherever, he says, I am with you always. The power comes from Christ. It is Christ in us that keeps us intentional. It is Christ in us that makes us godly. It is Christ in us that keeps us gracious and loving. It is Christ in us that empowers us to believe in others. We do not force a thing. Christ is the great discipler. Is he not? And he lives inside of us. Okay? So a big part of this is it is no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ who lives inside of me. It's no longer I, li I that live, but Jesus Christ, the disciple maker, who lives inside of me. And that is my message almost finished, but there's an application part. I want to encourage you to pray over the next few days and ask God to help you find people that you can encourage in their walk with God. Now, that might be people close by. That might be people that you're just going to start building a relationship with. I don't know, but people that you can inspire, spur on, move on in their walk with God. People that you can believe in. And start with prayer. Start with prayer. Say, God, you know, when Jesus was picking his disciples, he started with a lot of prayer. Yeah? But who, you know, and this could be on an official, formal basis. It could be on an informal friendship kind of basis. It doesn't matter. But who can I inspire to move on in their relationship with God? Who do you want to put around me? Or who do you want me to start influencing more so that they can grow in love, they can grow in godliness, that I can encourage 
and help them make progress in their walk with Jesus. That is my challenge for an application. How about that? Yeah? Does that sound all right? And on the flip side, find somebody who can do the same for you. Find someone who can disciple you. Find someone who can encourage you, someone who can keep you to account. I have several people that I'm discipling at the moment, if you like, on a formal or informal basis. And for for some people, it literally is that I'm keeping them to account on certain things, and that's fine. It's just a casual conversation. Um, but I'm also being discipled by another couple of people above me, um, and those are more of a Zoom chats than anything else. But it's important. Every single one of us need to be in that kind of relationship where we're being discipled and we're discipling others. It's, it's the great command, commission, to disciple others. So the encouragement is to go out and do it. You're feeling excited? <laughs> Nervous. Okay, right. <laughs>